I love, and I would, I would bet you guys too, I love dumb criminal stories. Do I need to be up here for that? Okay, we're recording for the next hour or two. Uh, I love these dumb criminal stories. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen them. You, know, you hear them on the news. Criminals aren't always the brightest people. Um, they're, they're, one of the ones that I loved was th- these two guys, and this happened, I think, recently. They went to rob a Burger King. So they go into the Burger King, they pull their guns. It's like 9.45 at night. It's not even super late. And as, as they, they pull the guns, the manager and the assistant manager are going through the protocol and they're you know, emptying out the registers. Well, one of the Burger King employees panicked and he went, when he heard what was going on, he was in the back, he runs out the back. And as he runs out the back for safety, he sees this car sitting in front of the Burger King that's got the keys in it and it's running. So he jumps in the car, assuming that it's the bad guys and takes off. So the guys get done robbing the Burger King and they run out to their getaway car and their getaway car is gone. I'm like, man, I wish I could have been there, you know, for that moment when they run out with their bag of money and they look at each other like, what just happened? And of course, the cops get them because they're like running down the street, you know, trying to get away. They don't have their getaway car anymore. And I love those dumb criminal stories. That, this one could be us. I, I hope it wouldn't be. But a guy got one of those speeding tickets from an automated camera speeding and the radar flashed him. And so he got a ticket in the mail for $40 and it had the $40 ticket and it had a picture of his car. And he thought he would be cute and took a picture of $40 and sent it to the police station. <laughs> True story. The police station, I don't know who it is. I, I want to meet this guy. The, the, the police station took a picture, a pair of handcuffs and mailed them back. <laughs> and so the guy pays the bill and gets it taken care of. Another story of this, uh, of guys, which is a, a funny one, kind of serious, but sad. A kid, 17-year-old in Jackson, Mississippi, goes to work, and some thugs come and kidnap him from his work, and they take him hostage, uh, disappear, and, and send the ransom note to the family. Of course, the police get involved, and the SWAT team, they track down the criminals pretty quick, quick and I don't know if they were housing him here or what, but they, they caught them at this car wash place. And so SWAT comes in, and they arrest this group that has that has planned this kidnapping and this ransom note. And they arrested eight people that were involved in the kidnapping. The ransom was for $500. (laughs) That's $62.50 a person. And I'm thinking there are so many better ways to make $62.50 that don't end in 40 years of prison or what, I mean, a garage sale. Um, a minimum wage job would do that for you and, and kind of probably you'd make more money in the amount of time that they plan. But what these people that, that kidnapped this, this young man were, were banking on, literally, they were banking on his family loving better. They, they were banking this family would so love their son that they would be willing to part with what seemed like to them a lot of money maybe and probably maybe not to all of us, but they would depart that $500 to get their son back. And we've been talking about this, this idea of love better. And we said from the very beginning, and we say it all the time, we're here, we exist at First Baptist Church to love God and to love people. From a church perspective, we say to love the, church, love the church and love the community. But we're to love God and love people. But this series, through the last four weeks and this fifth week, we've been really talking about some of our more intimate relationships. Your spouse, your children, your, your family, your extended family, if they're nearby and you're with them, your coworkers, your friends, how do we, in these deeper relationships that we have, how do we love people better? And, and we've been journeying through the book of Ruth. And what we found out along the way, we started in Ruth chapter one, and we found out that love is measured by loyalty. And we saw that, that Ruth 
promised Naomi that where you go, I'll go. And she didn't have to. We walked through all of that. If you missed some of these, you can go back in iTunes, download them and catch up. We saw that love is measured through loyalty. Then we saw through Ruth that love is expressed. It, 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 finds its, it finds its form in serving. It's measured through loyalty. It's expressed through service. And then we saw that love was rooted in kindness, that, that we've got to have an attitude of kindness for people to actually interpret that we're loving them better. And then this last week, and we've been, hopefully you've been talking with your teenagers, we looked at Ruth chapter three, which is kind of that PG-13 chapter in the book. And we said that love is magnified by purity. And so this morning we wrap all of Ruth up and we come to the, to the last chapter, Ruth four. We close out this series understanding that the pinnacle of love, the peak, that love in its truest sense is redemptive. That the pinnacle of love is redemption. And so we've got to look at this and we're going to something a little bit differently. We've been looking at things that we can do. How, how do we go out and be loyal? How do we serve? What decisions do we need to make to, to be pure, to bring, bring purity into a relationship? How do we change our attitude to an attitude of kindness? But this morning, we're not going to talk so much about what we do, even though we'll get to some application at the end. We want to talk about an, ex, an experience. Because the experience affects what we do. Let me give you an analogy. I'm not, it won't be the best analogy, but I think you'll, you'll track with it. I, I have a friend that grew up with that he and his dad, as they were older, I mean, he was out of college, they decided they were going to learn how to scuba dive together. And so they went through all that scuba dive training, and then they would go out, and they would take some family vacations, two places. They went to Cozumel. They went to some other places. And, and, and while the, the mom and the sisters would do stuff, Josh and his dad, they would go scuba diving. And so he's told me some of these stories because if you've been here, you know I'm, I'm not really good with you know, ocean or underwater. And so he likes to tell me some of these stories that he had. And so he told me the story. He said, you know, one time I was, we, we were down underwater and we, were, we swam into a cave. And as we came to the cave and went through, we came out on the backside of the cave. And he said, I, I almost had a panic attack because when we came out, there was no bottom that we could see. I mean, here we're just scuba diving and reefs and everything's pretty and fish. We go through this cave and we come out and he said, I couldn't even see the ocean floor. It, it had dropped so far down below us. And he said, I got, I got so nervous. And I got butterflies. He said, I literally threw up in my regulator. And so he's, tell, yeah, he's telling me this. And of course, you know, I, like I said, I told you, I, I have the, still have the Jaws moments. And I'm like, well, first of all, does that, does, does that attract sharks? You know, and, but I'm thinking, how do, how do you, like, what do you do? And he goes, well, you just, you just clear your regulator. And I'm like, I don't know if I can throw up and breathe at the same time. You know, and I'm like, and I mean, I get kind of nervous with these stories he, he's telling me about. It. He told me the story about how he and one of the other guys that went with him that were training there, they had to work on how far their depth was because they have to learn how to regulate it. I, I, I don't know all the details. Some of you guys are scuba diving. You would come up after me afterwards and probably correct me, but I wouldn't unless you went pink eye. Um, they're, they're, he's telling the story and they're, they're, they're learning how to do the depth and he's with the buddy and the, the buddy's like, they're underwater and they're looking at each other and he's tapping and he's the, the, the is it the depth meter? Depthometer? Whatever it is, okay. It says, it says zero. It says we're at the surface and he's looking at Josh in the water and he's like tapping it like it's broken. And, and Josh reaches over and, and he grabs him by the arms and lifts his head up out of the water. And the guy's like, oh. And so he's telling me these stories. This is working fine. But he's like, it's broken. He's like, no, you just don't know how to dive. And so he's telling me all these stories. And it makes a good point, though. You can read about scuba diving. And he can tell me these stories. And as a scuba diver, he can tell me what to do, what not to do. He can teach me that if you're, 
If the death meter says you're at zero, pop your head. I mean, he can teach me all of those things. But you don't go and dive until at some point along the way, and it's usually early on, if not the very first step, you have an experience with somebody who has mastered diving, right? You don't just read the books. You don't just YouTube, you know, how to, how to dive and, and grab your gear and go, hey, let's go out to Georgetown Lake. And, and I think it straps on this way and, and you go. You could possibly, but you wouldn't. Because before you go and do it, you need a master guided experience. And that's what we're talking about in Ruth 4 that we'll get to in a second. That's this idea of loving better. When I said we have been doing, we have been practicing serving through the Holy Spirit in us. We have been practicing loyalty, but we have to experience redemption. We've got to experience the pinnacle of love. We've got to experience love in its truest form before we go and do these things just like scuba diving. Because when we, when we have that experience, it transforms and changes everything else. When you have an experience of love from the Father, and we're going to talk about why we call it the pinnacle of redemption, the pinnacle being redemption in a moment. But when you, when you have that experience, it transforms everything. Azusa Pacific is this university in California. And John Ortberg is now a pastor out in California. He used to be in, at Willow Creek. And, and Ortberg tells a story about how he was invited to speak at Azusa Pacific to this small group of people. It was about 50 men and women, and they had, it was a, an, an alumni group. They had all graduated 50 years before. It was the, their 50th reunion, and, and he came in to speak to this, this group of men. And at the end of the event, he was there. They were doing some other things, kind of closing things out. And, and the president of the university brought in three students to meet these 50 men and women. And he said, I want to introduce you to three of our graduates. These three are all graduating this May. And they all three have agreed to give up the next two years of their life to go into the poorest part of India to do missions. They finished their degree, but they're, they want to go change the world. And so they, they, they come in to kind of meet and greet these guys. And the president says, but you three students, you don't know this. And I'm going to tell you this in front of these men. An anonymous donor heard about what you're going to do. And he's finished your tuition off. And he looked at one gentleman and he said, you owed $105,000 and it's gone. You owed $70,000 and it's been paid for. And you owed $130,000 and the debt's been wiped clean. And Ortberg says in that room, I mean, it got emotional. As kids, these young people started weeping at the fact that somebody had come into their life. Somebody they didn't know who it was had come in and said, you know what? I'm gonna take the debt that you have and I'm going to wipe it clean. I'm gonna erase it. And you have to know, and you'd have to agree, that that was a transforming moment in their life. How do you have $130,000 worth of debt erased, gone, and not have that be a milestone marker in your life? It's hard to go out from there and, and, and not be generous to other people when you've experienced that kind of generosity. That experience transformed everything they would do. And so we've been talking about doing. We've been talking about Holy Spirit comes inside us. It's not something we do. God in us, we go and we love better by being loyal, by serving, by having an attitude of kindness, by being pure. But at first, we have to have an experience of redemption. Because once we experience the debt being paid, 
Once we experience the exchange of something for a great value and it comes into our life, it changes the way we love. You could go out and be loyal. There are people, you might even be in here, you might be in here this morning and not be a follower of Jesus. You might just have come with a friend and you're checking things out. It might be something you've wrestled with for a while. You might have grown up in the church and, and you would say, I'm, I'm loyal. And I would look at you and go, yeah, you, you probably are. And you might look at me and go, I don't follow Jesus, but I serve people. And I wouldn't argue that. I go, I'm sure you do. If you've got teenagers in your home, you serve people. I mean, that, that's, I mean that, you do, there's no way around it. You might look and go, you know what? I've, I've focused on being pure. We talked about, and I know y'all didn't get to hear it because I had to preach last week, but you can download. We talked about the statistics of, of evangelical teenagers and non-Christians and their, their sexual choices when it comes to purity. And we know there are some people that are not followers of Jesus that have chosen to be absent before marriage. They've chosen to be pure. And they might go, hey, I've done that. I go, no doubt. But what I would say to you is while you've done those things, you haven't done them to their fullest. You haven't experienced the pinnacle of loving better because you haven't experienced the pinnacle of love, which is redemption. Now we're going to look in Ruth chapter four. So flip there. And if you haven't been with us, let me just give you a brief, a brief catch-up in case you've never heard the story of Ruth. It'd be much better for you to go read it. You'll get the details. Ruth uh, marries into a lady named Naomi's family, Naomi and Elimelech. She marries one of Naomi and Elimelech's sons. They move from Israel. They go to the country of Moab because there's a famine. And while they're there, Elimelech, the, the patriarch of the family, dies and Naomi is widowed. She's got herself, but she's got her two boys and her two daughter-in-laws, but her two boys also tragically die. So now there's three widows, the mom and the two daughter-in-laws. They're living in another country. The daughter-in-laws are from the other country. And Naomi says, you guys stay here. I'm going home. I'm going back to Israel. I've heard there's food there now. We left because of the famine. I've heard that God's provided, but you guys are young. You can still get remarried again. Your family's here. You stay. I'm gonna go. There's an argument. She convinces one of them to stay. And Ruth says, where you go, I'll go. And your people will be my people because love is measured by loyalty. That was Ruth one. And so they go there. Naomi can't do a whole lot because uh, she, she's an elderly widow. And again, living in a culture where uh, women didn't have a lot of business opportunities. Naomi goes out and she basically becomes this, this peasant in the fields of a man named Boaz. She's going picking up the grain that's fallen behind just to try to serve her mother-in-law and survive. And we saw that love is expressed through service. And so she's doing this, trying to, to eke out a living, trying to survive when a man named Boaz comes into the picture. And Boaz finds out who Ruth is he sees what she's doing. And we saw that love is rooted in kindness because Boaz is the man who says, you know what, Ruth, I want you to stay with, with the girls that work for me. I want you to come have lunch with me and my people. When you need water, I want you to go get water. I want you to not leave any other field. You stay here where you're gonna be protected. And then he looks at some of his workers and he says, wink, wink. Hey, when you're walking through harvesting, I want you to leave some things purposefully behind because Boaz is just kind. And then in Ruth chapter three, that's what I said, it gets a little bit PG-13. Naomi looks at Ruth and she says, basically, she says, Ruth, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go take a shower, get cleaned up. I told the kids, put on your high heel sandals, whatever it is. And when Boaz is at the, at the festival tonight, he's going to eat and he's going to drink. When he goes to bed, I want you to sneak into his room. And this is literally what Naomi says, sneak into his room and do whatever he says. That makes some of us uncomfortable because we're like, that's not in the Bible. 
There's no, no. And we talked about that. that. If somebody ever came to you and said, hey, here's what, here's what you need to do. You need help. We need help. You need to go and find a man. And after he's had a little bit too much to eat, maybe a little too much to drink, sneak into his hotel room, get under the covers with him and do whatever he says. That's the worst possible advice anyone might ever give you. But she goes and she does, but nothing happens. Boaz treats her as a woman. He calls her a woman of worth. He says she's a worthy woman and nothing inappropriate happens. And we saw that love was magnified by purity. And so Boaz that night promises her. He says, I know you need help. And there's this idea in Jewish culture called the kinsman redeemer. There is somebody in your family because you are all widows that can come in and redeem your family and take care of you, can bring you from homelessness to the mansion, to bring you from hunger to the feast, who can bring you from not knowing what your future holds into a stable family and community. And Boaz says, but there's somebody out there who has first rights. Through the way the lineage works, he has first rights to the land that was in Naomi's name. And Boaz says, I would love to be that person, but we have to go through the proper channels. And we pick up that story in Ruth 4. So here we go. Ruth 4, chapter 1. It says, Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken, the man who was first in line, came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friends, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said... I will, I'll redeem it. So this, this makes business sense. My, my father-in-law, a, a few years ago, he lives out in the country and he lives on land that's right next to land that was his dad's land. And when his dad passed away, all of the inheritance was split up amongst the brothers and sisters. And, and my father-in-law has some brothers and sisters. They don't live in the area. One lived in Corpus Christi at the time. And so he went to them and he said, hey, I want to buy you out of your land. I want to add your piece of the property to mine. And they agreed on that. He expanded the amount of land that he had. It's a great business decision. Not only did he get more land, but in this culture, more land, which meant more crops, more crops meant more money. This is a strategic investment that comes with more wealth. And so Boaz says, hey, you're the rights, you've got the rights to Naomi's land. Do you wanna, do you wanna be the redeemer? Do you, wanna, do you wanna buy it back? And the guy looks at it and he goes, yeah, absolutely, that's a great idea. So look at verse five. Then Boaz said, said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, this was the custom in former times. We had to, we had to bring this back. Look at this. This is great stuff. This was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off a sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. I mean, how about that? You want to buy my house? Here, here's my boot. You know, let's switch shoes and it's yours. That's what they, I, don't, I don't get it. That's just, that's part of the custom. But here's what happens. So the guy says, yeah, I want it. And, and then Boaz says, okay, well, when you take the land, realize that you're taking the family with the land. And there's Naomi, who's older. Her kids are all gone. No big deal. He says, but 
Ruth comes with it. The young lady, the one who more than likely through Jewish culture was, was going to have kids and hopefully have a lot of kids. And so the, the Redeemer, now he's got a business decision to make because he goes, okay, I've got this plot of land and I've added this plot to it. That's a good business sense. But if, if Ruth comes with it and Ruth has seven kids and I have three kids, we don't know how many he had, now my inheritance is divided by 10. And so now he's thinking about his own kids. And he goes, well, man, I don't know. I mean, she's, she's a pretty good looking woman. And if she gets married again and has a lot of kids, my kids will then suffer because my land right now is just going to be divided. I'm picking a number divided by my three kids. But it, does that make sense? But I'm getting this little bit of land. It's not a whole lot, but I may get a lot more people to have to split the inheritance before. And so he goes, you know what? It was good business sense, but it's not good for my legacy. And so he says, okay, I'll pass. I'm not interested. And so Boaz steps in and he becomes the redeemer. And he takes the land and he takes Naomi and he ends up getting married to Naomi. But here's, there's something bigger happening here. We've been through this story of loving better and we, of Ruth and we figured out a lot of things about loving better, but it's not just a story about a girl from Moab and a guy who marries her. It's not just a love story between those two people. It's not just a story that teaches how to love better. There's some foreshadowing happening here. I think I've shared this before. My wife, she's almost to the point where we're not going to watch television together anymore because she gets, she gets so mad at me. Because we're watching a TV show and, and we'll be watching something like Elementary or Criminal Minds or something like that. And, and, and early on in the show, I'll go, oh, he did it. That's the bad guy. And sometimes she'll be like, that's the stupidest idea you've ever had. But literally about 80% of the time, I nail it. I mean, and she's like, sometimes she's like, I don't, I don't, know, I don't know how you got that. And she, and she said this before. She goes, why do you try to figure it out and ruin it? And I told her, I said, I don't try to figure it out. But when you've read enough stories, if you're a reader, and when you tell stories for a living, and when you watch television, it's not rocket science. There's a formula that happens in, in television. And I said, I'm not looking for it, but I've watched enough TV and read enough stories and told enough stories that, that I know that as the story's unfolding, they're putting some moments that in English we learned were called foreshadowing along the way so that at the end when the reveal happens, you go, oh, yeah, because, oh, because, yeah, oh. And so I'm not looking, but they just, they pop up and I see them maybe clearer than other people do. And so I'm like, oh yeah, that's it. This story of Ruth is one of the many foreshadowing moments that God is giving his people about his ultimate act of redemption that's coming. That's why we said at the very beginning that the pinnacle of love is redemption. And I said that because for generations, from the moment sin happened in the garden, I, we've talked about this before too, from the moment sin happened in the garden, God spoke of the coming redemption. He said, the woman's seed will crush the head of the serpent. It was a picture of Jesus. Way back, and for generation upon generation upon generation, God has been unveiling parts of the story and explaining to people that to love better, you're going to experience redemption. It happened in the Garden of Eden. It happened with a prophet named Hosea. You remember the story of Hosea? Where God took this prophet and he said, hey, I want you to go marry a prostitute. And Hosea went, what? What? 
that doesn't sound very like God-like. Are you sure? And God said, go marry the prostitute. And he marries the prostitute. And after they've been married for a while, the prostitute, she leaves him and goes back to her life of prostitution. And Hosea looks at God and he's like, I told you, God, this was a dumb plan. And God says, no, here's the plan. I want you to go buy her back out of her prostitution. And, And Hosea goes, okay, you had me marry a prostitute. She went back to prostitute. Now I have to go buy my own wife back. And God goes, yes, why? Because it was foreshadowing redemption. The great buyback. Isaiah talks about it. A lot of the prophets talk about the coming redemption. Ruth is one part of a bigger story that God allowed to be put into his canonization of scripture and allowed the story to be told purposefully so that people would have more foreshadowing clues along the way so that when Jesus showed up and everybody was doing what everybody does and everybody's jockeying for position and they want to be served and they want, they want to have power and they want to have wealth. When Jesus said these words, the son of man didn't come to be served, but to serve. And I came to give my life a ransom or a redemption. I gave my life, came to give my life as a ransom for many. The idea was, All of the clues would line up. Bam, 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 bam. Ruth in the Garden of Eden. Isaiah, the other prophets. And when when Jesus said, I am the ransom, I'm the great redemption that the people would have gotten, that the pinnacle of love has arrived, Jesus in the flesh. And for generations, God who is love was working out his redemptive plan because all of the other things we've talked about flow out of that. So we talk during the course of every week, we talk about what can we do? What are some application points that I can hold on to? And I look around the room and I know a lot of you in here and most of you, this probably doesn't apply to you, but here's application number one. You've got to experience redemption. You've got got to come to a point in your life, if you haven't already, where you come to the end of yourself and you realize, you know what? I am a sinner. And if I'm going to love out of my sinful nature, that love at the end of the day, while it looks noble at the front end, at the end of the day, it will end up being self-serving. The love that I have for my spouse, the love that I have for my kids will end up at the end of the day because my natural bent is selfishness. It's called a sin nature. My love for others will end up becoming self-serving. And you might love and you might point to some things and it might be good. But at the end of the day, you have to come to a point where you go, you know what? I do realize I'm a self-serving person. I realize there's sin in my life. And, and the only way, the only way for sin to be removed from my life, for it to be forgiven, as the psalmist said, to, to be put apart as far away as from the east is from the west, which keeps going from eternity. The only way that I can have forgiveness is Jesus to step into that greater story that Ruth was a part of. To step in and say, God, I'm a sinner. And I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. And I believe that Jesus was resurrected. I believe that Jesus is alive and that Jesus can come into my life and change me. That's the gospel. And without the gospel, we'll never love with the love of God. So your choices, if you've came in this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, your choices are to love your spouse as best you can or to love your spouse as the best God can. You, you have the choice to love your teenagers at the very highest level that you can 
or to be into your kids as God has been into you and to love them like he loves. To love your coworkers, your family, your friends, to your fullest capacity or to the fullest capacity of God. But you have to experience redemption. You've got to have that, that moment with the master to transform your life so that the old life, the life that was dominated by you is gone and the new life that Jesus is living through you is here to stay. You've got to experience redemption. We're going to talk about the second point in a second, but I just want to pause for a second. I, I want to have a moment to let you think. And I want to pray for you because there, there's no greater decision you'll ever make. Some of you are sitting next to your spouse. That was the second biggest decision you'll ever make in your life. Who you're going to spend the rest of your life with. But the biggest decision is who you're going to spend eternity with. And so I'm going to give you a moment. I'm just going to pray for us. A classic, churchy kind of invitation. Not, we're not going to make aisles and walk down and we're going to get to point two. But I want to stop right here because I don't want Satan to, to, to move your mind from something else. If you came in this morning and you've never begun a relationship with Jesus, I want you to pray with me. Would you guys all bow with me real quick? I just want you, to, I want you to pray this prayer. I want you to say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Nothing I can do to make myself or my past right. Jesus, there's no amount of good deeds I can do to unwork the bad things I've done. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross. I believe that you were resurrected from the dead. And I believe that you're coming into my heart right now to be boss. And Jesus, I'm committing to follow you from this point forward with my life. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, if you're wrestling with, am I a believer or not? I want to talk with you. I don't want to give you what I've got in my eye. But we can talk afterwards before I leave. We can talk via email. We can set up a time to talk next week. But there, you, you, there's nothing more important when it comes to loving better than having experienced redemption and living through that. But here's the second thing. If you are a believer already, or if you just became a believer just now, second thing is this. We have to go out and love like we've been loved. We've got to go out and forgive debts like our debt's been forgiven. We've got to live like those kids from Azusa Pacific whose world was radically changed. We have to go out and we have to be loyal to people in the way that God is loyal to us. And we have to go out and serve people in the way that Jesus served. And we have to go out and put purity into our relationships like the purity that Jesus had. And we have to have kindness as a foundation to who we are, the, kindness, the same kind of kindness that God had when His kindness led us to redemption. That's what Romans said. We go out and we start loving people, not better, we can now love them best because it's not us loving. It's Jesus in you loving. It's not me trying anymore. It's me getting out of the way and going, God, you know what? I don't even really like this person, but I know you've called me to love them. And so Jesus, I've got to move out of the way. You just, Jesus, you tell me what to do. And through prayer and Bible study and small group and Christian community and all of the, dis the disciplines of the Christian life, the Spirit of God begins to speak and the Spirit of God goes, listen, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to use you to do it and we're going to love this person. And now it's not you loving better. It's Jesus loving best. In 1992, a cargo boat left Hong Kong to the United States. It was bringing all kinds of stuff through a shipping channel. It hit some rough seas. And while it hit the rough seas, the seas were rough enough that it knocked one of the shipping containers 
open uh, over and into the Pacific Ocean. And when it went into the Pacific Ocean, the, the top came off, and 28,000 rubber duckies, rubber uh, turtles, and rubber frogs went out into the Pacific Ocean. And the container sank, 28,000. So far to date, they found some of these washed up in Alaska, Hawaii, South America, Australia. They, they've even found them washed up, somehow or another got into, out of the Pacific Ocean, into the Atlantic Ocean, and washed up in Scotland and Newfoundland. This is, I mean, they're out there. So one day, while you're in your Hawaii, just go looking for rubber duck. You know, that, that you'll be a part of it. They think now, though, that even today, there's still 2,000 of them caught, and I'm not sure exactly how you pronounce it. I, I believe they call it the North Pacific gyre. It's this current of water that circles in the Pacific Ocean that's about the size of Texas. And there's a giant trash heap in the middle of it because the current, it never gets out of the current. It, it just circles around. And every now and then, something comes along the way and nudges something out of the current. Nudges one of those rubber duckies, some trash out of the current, and it floats someplace else. But today, they think there's still 2,000 of those left circling in the North Pacific. And they'll stay there until they get nudged out. Some time ago, maybe for some of you it was this morning, you were caught in this cycle trying to do your best, trying to live good. And someone came along, a friend, a pastor, a parent, a podcast, a book, and came along and the Spirit of God used it to nudge you out of the current and towards Him. My question is this, as we love better, as we close out this series, who are you going to nudge this week? Who are you going to love better, or maybe we say now love best, in such a way the Spirit of God uses you to bump them out of the current of what they always do so that they can start their path floating towards Jesus? That's what loving better or loving best is about. Start at home. Start after that, with our friends, our family, those that are co-workers. And we become a church, a people of God, who, like Jesus said, how will they know that you're my disciples? By the way we love one another.